Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. You're about to hear a message from our series called Managing Your Inner World, and it explores the things that Jesus said about how to have happiness in life, something everyone wants, but may try to secure in the wrong way or not understand how to attain it at all. The Bible gives us clear direction on how to manage our inner world so that we can experience true happiness in life. We hope that you enjoy today's message. A lot of what we do in life is managing our outer world. A lot of stuff going around us all the time, stuff happening, and we think that life is going to get better or, you know, it's all about managing what's on the outside when in reality there's a whole lot going on on the inside um, that's so important to us. And uh, I think that's maybe one of the reasons I just mentioned worship just now, that, you know, when we lift our voice in worship, something changes in our spirit. And when we cry out to God, stuff changes. Um, and, 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 you know, strongholds can break. And, and it's crazy, but there's, we're, we're always focused on what's going on on the outside. Yet there's so much going on on the inside. You know, we're consistently, as we drive around and go through life and on our phones or whatever, we're consistent, consistently offered by the majority of the advertisements we see every day a better life, aren't we? Like, what are, what, what's everyone trying to offer us? They're trying to offer us happiness, Right? What are are they all trying to offer us? A better world for ourselves. And it's interesting how everybody's trying to pull us in their direction. Like, just trust me, if you go this way, if you buy this car, if you use our service, if you sign up for our timeshare, your life will be better. I've been blessed by not being at one of those timeshare seminar things, but I have heard the horror stories and how pushy those people are. Um, We're consistently offered a a better life by acquiring certain possessions or pursuing our wants and our desires at all costs. You can finance anything. Finance your happiness. You know, we're constantly told, go this direction or that direction. I mean, look at, I'll just show you some advertisements that uh, some of the team found. Coke, they're just, you can drink whatever they did to these things Everybody's worried about a vaccine. What about what's in that thing? <laughs> uh, but you're constantly offered happiness by those things, right? Uh, Disneyland, right? It's just about you will be more happy if you come to our crowded place and stand in line and wait all day long in our land. You will be more happy. How about this one? Just pour this packet of whatever is, is in that. It won't change the taste of your food, uh, but you, you know, your life is just gonna be so much better. No more. No pills, no, no counting calories. Look at this. Be happy. Go lucky. Smoke our cigarettes and you will be happy. In fact, one of our interns was looking up these ads for me and he said he found old uh, cigarette ads that said the number one cigarette smoked by doctors around the world. <laughs> Everywhere we look in life, we're promised The same things that Jesus promised us, but they're all cheap knockoff versions of his promises. How many people grew up with your parents buying knockoff brand food? You know what I'm talking about? Instead of Fruit Loops in your house, you had Fruity Explosions or something like that. You know, instead of Honey Nut Cheerios, it was just Honey O's, right? Or if you went to Superstore, the no-name brand, they would just explain what the food was. So instead of Kraft Singles, it was just like, Gross cheese slices in big writing, black on yellow, like whatever it was. But how many people know 
that the cheap knockoff versions are just trying to recreate something and they just don't do it as well. And we do this for our lives, whether it's our hobbies or sports, our relationships or shopping, whatever our mind says, it says, that felt good, that little bit, let's do that again and again and again and again and again. We, we're trying to make you happy, so we'll do these things. Yet the majority of what happens in our lives is happening in our minds, not around us. And there's all sorts of studies on this, and I, I think I've thrown out different numbers and, and different messages, and I can't, you can fact check me if, if you want, but I can't seem to figure out the exact number, but the one I came to this week was 6,000 thoughts a day. Uh, somebody else said 60,000. So we have a lot of thoughts a day, okay? And somewhere between 70 and 90% of those are negative, depending on your disposition towards life. And the self-help world is trying to offer us all their solutions, breathe this way, think this way, do these 10 steps. Um, Buddhism is, you know, they're, they're trying to offer this as well. But these are all cheap knockoff attempts at what Jesus offers us. We're often chasing an AliExpress version of what Jesus offers. Matthew chapter five, Jesus offers us happiness. That's what we're going through in this series. We're breaking down the Beatitudes. And in Matthew chapter five, he keeps saying, blessed are those who blank. And blessed, you can break it down to, it's a loose translation, is happy is. He's giving us keys to a better life. And the funny thing is, is that Jesus primarily offers us spiritual rewards, not material rewards. So Matthew chapter five, we're gonna go into today, chapter five, verse five, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Meek is often interpreted as gentle or a loose Greek translation is strength under control. And so much of what we want to accomplish in life is rooted in self-control. I would call self-control the ugly duckling of the fruits of the spirit. Even as, uh, um, you know, uh, our pastor gave me this message to preach. He laid out the series and I'm, like, I'm looking at it. He go, I'm like, you gave me self-control and righteousness to preach on? What have I done wrong? I'm like, come on, man. Self-control, you know, people, all the other fruits of the spirit, people will use as a compliment. Oh, you're so loving. You're so kind. You're so joyful. When was the last time somebody was like, you know what I love about you? You're so self-controlled. You're just the best. I love how the Amplified puts this verse. It says, blessed, inwardly peaceful, spiritually secure, and worthy of respect are the gentle, the, the kind-hearted, the sweet-spirited, the self-controlled, for they will inherit the earth. Wow. Most translations, if you look through, they, most of them use the word meek um, for how Jesus said it. And they're, they're giving us a posture of how we hold our self-control. Not like, ah, I'm the most self-controlled person ever, but more like, I'm just, I'm not, I'm just, I'm gonna have more control than that. I'm just gonna be a little bit more reserved than that. The message version says it this way. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment when you find yourselves the proud owner of everything that can't be bought. As we walk through the Beatitudes in this series, we're consistently reminded that uh, the blessings in our lives are gonna come from prioritizing our spirit. See, if we, are const we constantly can, uh, feed our wants and desires and we often starve our spirit. We're constantly going around trying to feed what our wants and our desires or our flesh, as Paul would call it, 
yet we often starve our spirit. Have you ever done, have you ever gone through a day like that? Where you, you go through the whole day and you think you're just kind of following what you have to do today and whatever, and you're just kind of doing what you need to do. And at the end of the day, you're exhausted because your spirit was not fed all day long. I think a lot of people go through a week like that, months like that, even years like that. I'll tell you this. I have never regretted prioritizing what my spirit needs, yet I often regret prioritizing my wants and desires. Let's think about King David this morning. King David, uh, self-control played a massive role in his journey to becoming king of Israel. King David's self-control led him from the position of the youngest child, kind of a nobody in his family, to the position of king. In fact, when they were uh, looking for a king to anoint, uh, they went to his dad, Jesse, and they're like, he's like, here's all my sons. And, and, and they're like, uh, no, there's gotta be one more than this. Oh yeah, David, he's out in the field. Um, but notice that God often in the Bible, he's often using nobodies in the Bible. Not because he can't use rich people, but because the nobodies often had what he was looking for, which was humility. And after David is anointed to be king, he continues to stay with his father's sheep. He continues to, to stay out in the field. He has the self-control to say, I know that I'm going to be king one day, but I'm going to stay here and I'm going to serve my father instead right now. Yet he, he, so he's anointed to be king, yet he uh, is disciplined enough to stay in the field and take care of his family. And then he steps up to fight Goliath. And Goliath comes out, he's this massive giant, he's covered in armor, and everyone around him says, David, you need to change if you're going to fight this guy. You cannot wear that outfit, okay? You look like baby Yoda in those rags, all right? You cannot fight this man in that outfit. You're going to have to put on Saul's armor because what you are and what you have is not enough. Have you ever felt like you weren't enough? People might not say that to you, but they might make you feel that way. Or you might make yourself feel that way. In 1 Samuel 17, 39 to 40, it says this, David uh, strapped up his sword over his armor and he tried to go in, tried in vain to go. But he had not tested them. And then, so he's got Saul's armor on. And then David said to Saul, I can't go in these for I have not tested them. It's not me. He has the self-control, the discipline to say, I'm not going to be who you're trying to force me to be. I got to be me. So David put them off. He took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the brook and he put them in his shepherd's pouch and his sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. David shows a level of discipline knowing that if he's going to be who God called him to be, he's got to be who's to do it the way God designed him to do it. David was not swayed by the opinions of the people around him. He was disciplined enough to know that he, he was going to succeed because of how God made him and, and that he had, had worked a certain way into being God, who God made him. And he was confident in that way so that when people tried to sway him, he said, I'm not, I'm not going that way. And people are always trying to give us Saul's armor. I think that that's what a lot of these ads are sort of portraying to us is your life will be better if you put this on it. We even do this to ourselves. I know I do it. I see another pastor on social media. I'm like, man, I got to get an outfit like that. Oh, if I could just preach a little bit more like them. No, you need to be who God called you to be. You might see another mom on social media. You say, oh, I want to be like her. 
No, she's not the mother of your children. Your children are specific. Your children are designed for you as their mother. And we can use the advice that people give us, but please don't try to imitate who people are. God's got a calling on your life for you. Have enough self-control to say, I got to stay in my lane. And how you develop that is like David, he was so um, good in his craft that he just kept doing the same thing over. He had developed the confidence that when the time came for people to try and make him into somebody else, he knew, no, that ain't me. The breakthrough that you are looking for in your life will happen internally before it happens externally. And God wants to use his plan for you, not someone else's plan for you. David's such a great example to us. I can't go in these. David knew how to fight because of how he practiced in the field. He developed a confidence. Out in the field, he learned which stones fly best. He knew to grab the five smooth stones. And Goliath was defeated because David sticking with God's plan and purpose for his life. He was self-controlled enough to resist the temptation to please people. How much easier would your life be if you stopped trying to please people who are never going to be happy with you anyway? Because so many people are trying to get you to do what they think is best for your life. When we have to develop an intimacy enough with God to know, God, I've got to follow your plans. Yes, I'm going to honor my leaders. Yes, I'm going to honor my parents. But God, I'm also going to focus on the plan and the direction you have set for me. I'll say this, the difference between, yeah, you can clap if you want. I'm getting thirsty. That would be helpful. The difference between the life you have and the life you want is self-control. And you might hear this and think, yes, I'm taking in this TED Talk self-help course this morning. I'm going to go and get my dreams. I'm going to put hashtag goals on my fridge. Get a new house, new car, new wardrobe this year. Now, clearly, self-control can help you in your budget and you can get better material things. That's fine. But we cannot reduce our spirituality down to just a self-help method. Because you'll notice as you continue to make your life better with these material external things, nothing will satisfy your spirit until you actually decide to make God the number one priority of your life until you actually humble yourself enough to know that I'm never going to be holy enough to be on an equal level with God, that I'm never going to be able to do it on my own. I have to have God, and I have to have His plans and His purpose for my life, and i got to put God in front of me, not just what I want and desire in front of me all the time. And as you practice self-control in your relationship with God, He actually starts to sneak into your heart and replace the desires in your heart. And so you wanted things to go a certain way and, and then you, you come into an intimacy with God and all of a sudden he starts to change your priorities. And all of a sudden, what was such a big deal, what you laid down your life for that you thought this is gonna make me feel this certain way, all of a sudden doesn't matter any much, that much anymore. And you're finding this new satisfaction in laying down your life and really making God priority in your life. It's probably one of the number one mistakes we make in the West is that we, we, we get God in our life and we're like, yes, on Sundays, I'm gonna get that half an hour self-help sermon. I'm gonna go out there. I'm gonna grow my followers. I'm gonna, you know, make my life just so much better. But really what God is trying to get for us is to actually be Lord of his life, 
And you'll watch in sort of uh, the developing countries, you'll watch, it's so much easier for people because they don't have anything else that all of a sudden their faith grows so much because God is all they have. And I think that sometimes God's just sitting there trying to get our attention too. That there's something to be learned from people who they, they don't have as many options on the table. And so it's so much easier for them to make God, Jesus and God Lord of their life. Okay, where did you go? As we develop an intimacy with the Holy Spirit, we actually start to get passionate and excited about new things. This happened to me as I started ministry. That when I came into ministry, I came in with a chip on my shoulder saying, like, oh, I'm gonna just show people, you know, everybody who's ever doubted me. I, I just came in with a chip on my shoulder. Everybody who's ever doubted me, I'm gonna show them. We grow great ministry. You know, I'm gonna do things and I, I, people are gonna go, wow, he's not just a pastor's son. Yeah, you know, he's not. I had a chip on my shoulder and people thought I was only here because of my last name. And there, there was no freedom and honestly, not a lot of joy until I decided this is actually about me offering myself as an offering to God, not my reputation of how people see me. So what's the motivation for your self-control? I'll tell you what, when I want some, when I want some piece of golf gear, you know, when I, I, want, I want some kind of thing for, for golfing, all of a sudden I have all this self-control. Like I can stay on budget. I can not eat out. I won't spend a dime because I got to get that money for that golf gear. It's a great motivation. Yet it's just something, again, that's feeding my wants and desires. It's never going to leave me fully satisfied. And David's self-control is rooted. His motivation is honoring his father. And so this kept him developing in his father's field instead of forcing his way into royalty in the wrong time. And when it came to Saul, David's self-control was rooted in fear of the Lord. Can I tell you, we need some fear of the Lord in our lives. He clearly honored God enough to use self-control towards Saul. Do you know that Saul, as you read through First and Second Samuel, uh, that Saul's continually trying to kill David. He's always trying to end his life. He's trying to set him up. He's either trying to set him up with his daughter or he's just trying to get him killed or do both together. He's a messed up leader. But over and over, he tries to uh, kill David and, and David just keeps using self-control and dodging the bullets and fleeing Saul. David even gets angry at his men because his men convince him to go up. Saul's in a, in a cave. He's taking a pee. He's making some yellow snow in this cave. And, and, and Saul's in there and David... That his men talk, talk him into going and cutting a piece of his robe off. And David actually gets angry with them. He's like, no, that's my leader. I won't do that. And David's self-control in this moment is rooted in, I'm honoring God as I honor my leader. So what's your self-control rooted in? Check yourself. Because if your self-control is rooted in uh, just all, being all about you and how you want everything, there's a problem. The problem is you. David's self-control helped him rise up to be the king that God anointed him to be. And then his lack of self-control begins his fall. David's self-control led him to the ultimate place of leadership and then his lack of self-control was a tarnish on his name forever. 2 Samuel 11 verse one, it says, in the spring which is coming for us, the spring. 
can feel it in the air. At a time when kings go off to war, David should have been out at battle with his men instead of, instead he's at home with nothing going on. And the, then he sees this lady and he's just wandering around on his roof. He happens to catch her bathing. And, uh, and so he's like, okay, all right. And so um, he sees her. He's like, dang, girl. Come out of that tub and come see me. Um, and Second uh, Samuel says, and the, the, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, this is Bathsheba, um, this lady. Then David sent messengers to get her and she came to him and he slept with her. He's interested in a woman. And he sleeps with her. She gets pregnant and David ends up killing her husband to cover it up. And I was thinking this week, as I, as I wrote this, I was wondering, this guy Uriah, the husband that David killed, you know, he gets to heaven. I wonder if he's just up in heaven there waiting for David. That's, everybody likes this David guy, but I'm going to give him a piece of my mind when he gets up here. And the thing David had done had displeased the Lord. When his actions were rooted in what God had for him, his life went in the right direction. And thank God that he helps us when our lives go in the wrong direction. So David, his lack of self-control leads him to sleeping with this lady. And then God ends up helping him out. Second Samuel 12, 9. He said, uh, why did you displease the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes. You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. So this prophet, Nathan, comes in and he calls him out. If we're going to develop uh, self-control in our lives, we need a system. We need a framework to develop self-control. We need something around us to help us, especially at the start when we're trying to develop self-control. So David falls, he makes a mess, and then he, luckily God sends this person for him and we need somebody like that to help us or some sort of system like that to help us as we develop self-control. We need a framework to develop self-control. My friend yesterday asked me to be in a Spartan race. I don't even know what a Spartan race is. The only race I do is to Sabaro when I get to the mall. Um, but... The, <laughs> he, <laughs> I had one person just slap their face like this guy's an idiot. Um, but this friend said, we're going to do this race, but before we even get towards training or anything, and I don't even know what a Spartan race is, but he said, before we do any training, we're going to have a Monday morning, 7 a.m. accountability Zoom call to keep each other accountable to do this race. So before they even set the goal, my friend set up the scaffolding or the framework to ensure that we had accountability and self-control as we run towards this goal together. Scaffolding doesn't have to be there forever when you're building a building, but you couldn't do it without it. It's there at the start because you'll make a mess without it. And we tell ourselves we have things under control, but is that ever true? 
You know, how many people try to struggle year after year being like, I'm going to read more of my Bible this year. And it just continues to collect dust and you get it through a couple Psalms when things are tough. And as you draw closer to the Holy Spirit, you find that it ends up being the Holy Spirit inside of you wanting you to draw closer to him. Which might sound confusing in the, right now. But it's, what happens is it starts as your body trying to take care of your spirit. Oh, I gotta got get up. I gotta read my Bible. I gotta make this thing happen. But once you start to develop that intimacy with the Holy Spirit, you start to hear from him a little more and you start to be more in touch with that Holy Spirit, it ends up being God in you drawing you to himself. It's amazing. It might be a, you might be like, what is happening right now? I can't fully explain it. Just try it. That it starts as this, again, Paul used the word flesh, like your flesh trying to get your, take care of your spirit. But then all of a sudden it's your spirit taking care of your spirit and it gets actually easier. Get some form of system for self-control in your life. Because God's plan is too important for you to not develop a system for self-control. I promise you, there's not like five people in this room with a plan of God for their lives. There's a whole bunch of people. You know, ushers, how many people are in this service? Brian, you know? 200. There's 200 plans of God in the room right now. There's not one, there's not two, there's not five. There's 200 plans of God in this room and they're all too important for us to ignore that. And we actually, I was just preaching this to our youth leaders last weekend, that in Romans 14, it says, each one of you will give account of himself to God. That's not for your sin. That's because Jesus paid for your sin. That's for how you use the gifts that God given, has given you. God has a purpose for your life. And we need to develop enough self-control to keep our eyes on that pur purpose so we don't end up like David. Keeping the purpose of God in front of you will help you develop discipline in your life. Proverbs 25, 28 says, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. You're thinking, Edmonton doesn't have walls, um, but the city's used to, okay? Um, David knew his purpose in the field and in the fight, but he clearly lost sight of his purpose with Bathsheba, this lady up on that rooftop when he should have been out at war. David could have stopped himself at the thought of seeing that woman and went, wait a second. God has a plan and purpose for my life. Let's step back for a moment and let's just reevaluate. And then as soon as he finds out someone else's wife, you know, it, it, he already made the decision in his mind. Okay, I can't go further. The problem was he made the decision on the rooftop. Hey, bring her to me. I'll just leave you a side note because I just feel like God's dropped this on my heart lately that I, I heard this stat and I just thought, dang, if we could just get that out. We, you know, men and women, um, this is something we don't talk about a lot at church, but uh, you, you sort of hear about the, the, the train wrecks that happen in people's life over time. But men and women, a lot of people, Christians included, um, struggle with pornography. And I read this study that men that lack purpose, sorry, women, I, I didn't read any, there, it was just about men, but men that have a lack of purpose in their lives are seven times more likely to use pornography. So we try to develop a lot of systems and that's great um, to keep us, you know, have self-control in our lives. 
But if we could just get the purposes of God in front of us, what an ultimate system for us to say, I am not interested in swaying to the left or to the right or to any nonsense. I'm gonna keep my eyes on the purpose of God for my life. And I'm gonna do what Proverbs 4.23 says. Excuse me, sometimes I think I'm a rapper, but then I realize I'm not that good at it. But above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Self-control is not just about stopping at action. It's, a, it's about stopping the thought process before the action. Make the choice in your mind first, and then so you make the choice internally first, and then the outside stuff will flow from it. We can easily lose sight of God's purpose for us. And I would say, for some reason, I think it's because it's one of my biggest struggles, um, but God just keeps putting this on my heart just to always talk about our words. One of the number one challenges we have as believers is self-control with our words. In fact, I heard somebody, unfortunately, uh, went to a small group in our church or a connect group, if you call them, and they said they wouldn't go back because of how the people in the group were talking about other people in the church. And it doesn't matter if it's a ministry or not. The reality of it is, is that we don't even realize what a bad example we're being to people around us. We just want to talk. It makes us feel better. It's so easy to judge a person like David who wasn't careful with his eyes, yet we're not careful with our words. And this is, again, another example of where purpose comes into play. If you know your purpose, you'd realize how much weight your words carry. It's a lesson that I've learned the hard way. That's why I'm sharing it with you. Not because I'm up here telling you, oh, I'm this perfect person. Trust me, ask any of our staff, my wife or my kids or my neighbor or my other neighbor or the neighbor behind me that I messed up her tree a couple years ago. She's still mad at me for it about it. We tell our kids, just because you think something doesn't mean you have to say it, yet we run our mouths about all sorts of stuff just because it comes to our minds. And what I find is that when I speak negatively, it drives me to think negatively as well. But when I refuse to speak negatively, then my mind stops thinking so negatively. And Proverbs 26, 21 says, as charcoal to hot embers and wood to a fire, so a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. Stop saying it about them if you'd never say it to them. This is the filter that I have used. Will this conversation help them be better or will it help me feel better? Will this conversation help them be better or will it help me feel better? 9.9 times out of 10, it's just me trying to make myself feel better and prop myself up. But if it doesn't help them, it doesn't glorify God. And at the end of the day, that's what our life and our goal in life should be, to glorify God with our lives. And self-control is about glorifying God with our lives, not ourselves. And in all of the Beatitudes, this Matthew 5, it it bookmarks, the whole thing's bookmarked with this. Um, They start the whole thing and finish the whole thing with, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This refers to the people who acknowledge God as their king, who may therefore confidently look forward to the fulfillment of his purpose in their lives. This is something I believe we constantly need to process. 
Where in my life am I seeking my purpose alone? And how can I ensure that I put the purposes of God first and foremost in my life? How can I structure my world to make sure that I consistently put the purpose of God in the front, forefront of my life? Matthew 5, 5, I wanna come back to Eugene Peterson, his words in the message. Blessed are you when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. So you're okay with the way God made you. It doesn't mean we don't have goals, things that we try and achieve. It doesn't mean we're just like, I'm gonna sit around the couch and eat flaming Hot Doritos all day. No, like there's, there's more for you than that. But when you realize, okay, this is who God made me to be. I'm not gonna strive to be other people. I'm not gonna strive to be less than God made me as well, right? It's no more, it's no less. That's the moment you find yourselves the proud owners of everything that can't be bought. What a goal for us. That if we would just stay content to who God made us to be, keep our eyes on his purpose, his plans, we would inherit the earth. God, thank you for these people. Thank you for, thank you for that person that's been here just a few weeks and they're trying to figure this whole thing out. Maybe they didn't even understand some of the stuff I said today. God, I thank you that they're welcome here and that you have a plan and purpose for them. I thank you for the person who's been following you their whole life, yet they're here today and they're frustrated or maybe even offended with some of the things that were said today. God, I thank you that you'd use that offense to help pull on the thing that's in their heart, the root, the bitter root that's gotten in their heart. God, would this offense be a, a little, like a tow rope that, got on that, that gets on the bitterness that's been there and blocking them for years? God, would you pull that root out? I thank you that it is your promise and your purpose for our life that we would be happy. That life isn't about suffering for however many years we get and then we go to heaven and everything's okay there. But that God, you want us to have a good life here and now. And so I pray that we would consistently run towards you and humble ourselves along the way. And when we're corrected, we would see it as an opportunity to draw near to you. We're thankful for that correction that comes in our life. I pray for the person here who's maybe feeling some shame from the words that were spoken today, that when they were spoken, that how it responded in their heart was shame. I pray that you'd take that shame away right now and, and help them know that we don't have to think about the past or how much time we've wasted on certain issues, that we can just right here and now decide something internally that we're gonna continue from this day forward. But we're gonna draw near to you. We're gonna allow this correction uh, to be a blessing to our lives because we wanna draw near to you. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed and everybody watching online, I wanna pray for those who have felt that they've walked away from God. Um, 
whatever that looks like for you, whether you've given your life to Christ before or you believe in your heart that, you know, that you're, you want to be a Christian, but you just keep running away. And, or or, or um, maybe today is, you've sort of been on the fence and you've been around a little bit. Maybe, I feel like there's somebody here that your girlfriend's been tra- dragging you to church and you're like, this is not for me. It's like a self-help thing, but I don't think about, I don't know about this whole God thing. I just want you to know, Jesus came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross specifically for you so that you could be free from all the sin and the baggage of life and just be who you were meant to be, a child of God. And uh, I, I just want to take a quick moment to pray. Roman 10, 9. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth. You'll be saved. You'll be with Jesus in eternity. Um, but heaven on earth can start as soon as you pray this prayer and decide something internally is going to change. So let's, uh, as believers or Christians, whatever you want to call us, people who call Celebration Church home, would you repeat after me as people make this declaration to give their lives to Jesus today as we pray together. Repeat after me, Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth and dying on the cross for my sin. I believe that you are Lord and God raised you from the dead. Today I ask that you come into my life. From now on, I live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our message today from our series, Managing Your Inner World. If you're wanting to know more about Celebration Church or if you would like to partner with us financially, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com. You can follow us on our Instagram and our Facebook at Celebration EDM to connect with us. Join us next week to hear another great message from our series, Managing Your Inner World.